Coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fourth Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. Hello and a happy Thursday to you, unless you're listening Friday morning on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com. You hear this show weekdays, 5 to 6 p.m. first, and then the next morning. Anyway, I'm not going to do this time warp thing. Thank you so much for listening. If you listen via podcast, you listen whenever you doggone please. And isn't that nice? Either way, I appreciate you listening. So, uh, second half of the show, we're going to talk with Georgia Winlist Executive Director Melita Easter. She, of course, also a frequent pundit on WAGA-TV, Fox 5's The Georgia Gang, which airs Sunday mornings at 8.30. We're going to talk... Uh, about a number of abortion fronts, the Supreme Court arguing soon the validity and legality of the FDA's approval of Mifeprestone, the abortion pill, which isn't just, by the way, prescribed for abortion. There's all sorts of uh, complications with the approval or disapproval of that drug and the portability of it. By that, I mean the ability to mail it from States where abortion is more legal to states where it might not be very legal at all. Speaking of, uh, Town Hall on CNN and Vivek Ramaswamy was given this question. You do believe that the Supreme Court should ban Mifepristone? I believe that the Supreme Court should put the FDA back in its place. That's but as it relates to this particular, that's before the court. But as it so relates I to this, rule on the law. as it I, relates to this particular drug, and as do you believe that that will drug. ultimately result in mifepristone being banned nationwide? I believe that it will result in mifepristone being ruling? taken off the market until they go through the process that's ordained for every other drug that doesn't go through emergency approval. Okay. The FDA should follow the law if the rest of us do too. Vivek Ramaswamy will never be president of the United States. Not sure he'll ever be vice president of the United States either, but you've got a deranged lunatic leading the GOP uh, primary, at least polling so far, and God only knows who he's going to choose to be his running mate. Uh, Vivek is obviously pining and angling and auditioning for that role. I don't think that'll happen either, but Vivek needs to be reminded. Mifepristone was developed in 1980. It's 2023. It's been 43 years since Mifepristone was developed came into use in France first in 1987, did not become available in the United States until 2000. It's also on the World Health Organization's list of essential medicines. Just thought I'd let him, a male, know that. Uh, Anyway, Melita will join us to talk about that. Uh, Kellyanne Conway in Washington this week telling congressional Republicans and perhaps presidential candidates, she needs to stop by and visit Vivek, that... The GOP needs to pivot away from talking about abortion and talking about contraception and making it readily available regardless of cost. Are are we in the upside down world? Kellyanne Conway wants Republicans to turn a losing issue for the dogs that caught the car into a more palatable issue because as she sees it, she sees blood in the water. There seems to be some... In fact, we know it, a lack of enthusiasm on the left for the presumed nominee, that would be the incumbent president, Joseph R. Biden, and Kamala Harris, his running mate, and she sees an opportunity to win over some of the young voters who might be, meh, about running uh, running to the polls to vote for Joe Biden again with so many other issues. Student loan payments going back into effect, Israel, Hamas, et cetera, and so on. 
So we're getting reports of closing arguments in the Rudy Giuliani defamation case. We'll touch on that in a little bit. Uh, I think the headline of the day, honestly, would be this. Uh, Congressman Drew Ferguson announcing he's not going to run for re-election for his West Georgia House seat. Uh, that'll open up a race for a very red uh, U.S. House seat in West Georgia. He is a four-term Republican. And uh, he is part of a growing number of Republican House members uh, leaving for the uh, exit gates at Congress after what's been a tumultuous couple of years, not just with the results of the 2020 election and January 6th and <laughs> these House Speaker races. He is among several Republicans according to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, who received death threats after opposing Jim Jordan's bid for the House Speakership after Kevin McCarthy was bounced. He, too, did his little swan song on the House floor today. We'll give you some audio of that. Back to Greg Blustein at the AJC, writing, Ferguson is one of about a dozen House Republicans calling it quits in 2024. Blustein writes, Ferguson's decision sets off speculation that he could seek statewide office in 2026 when the U.S. Senate governor and every constitutional post is on the ballot. Ferguson was tight-lipped about his next step, describing it as, quote, the right thing at the right time for me and my family, through a text message back to the reporter. Some of the names being bantied about to step up and run for that seat would be uh, a top aide to Representative Rich McCormick, fellow by the name of Philip Singleton, uh, Senators uh, Matt Brass, Mike Dugan, oh my God, Randy Robertson, Catala, George. I don't even, do I have to say that again? Randy Robertson of Catala. He, of course, of the Buckhead City movement, although Catala's nowhere near Buckhead. Uh, Representative David Jenkins, former State Senator Tim Bearden, former State Senator Mike Crane, uh, who rang for Congress in 2010, according to Bluestein at the AJC. Chris West, the GOP nominee last year for a neighboring Democratic-held district. Those are some of the names being bantied about. Another name that Bluestein mentions in his article, Brian Jack, longtime aide to Donald Trump, who now works as a senior advisor to Trump's presidential campaign. He's from the Atlanta suburbs, was the White House Director of Political Affairs during the Donald's administration. Of course, question is, will this district even look the same with uh, redistrict, uh, redrawn maps sent back to a judge to be reviewed and potentially back to a special master. We'll see what U.S. District Judge Steve Jones uh, says at next Wednesday's hearing over these maps. Meanwhile, closing arguments were made today, and it appears that there was never going to be any sort of testimony from Rudy Giuliani in his defamation case. He told reporters uh, after court yesterday that he intended to testify in his own defense. Here's what he said. Well, i got nothing for you right now until after the trial is over, when I would be happy to talk to you when these restrictions are not on me and I uh -huh. can't say what I'd like to say, uh -huh. uh, except that no comment. The court order is pretty complete with regard to that, and I'm going to respect it. After all, there's only a day or two more to go, and then we'll be able to exercise our right of free speech, God willing, like every other American. It appears, however, that America's mayor lost his own attorney, though. Uh, this morning, his attorney, Joseph Sibley, said the former prosecutor would not take the stand. So the former mayor's case was arrested without calling any witnesses. Sibley told jurors the decision was aimed at sparing 
Ruby Moss, and Shay Freeman, whose emotional testimony this week he described as genuine and credible any further trauma. These women have been through enough, he said, calling Giuliani irresponsible for stoking false claims about Moss and Freeman without conducting an investigation. That's his attorney saying that, y'all. Reading from Politico, uh, Josh Gerstein and Kyle Cheney reporting a Washington jury considering how much to award to Georgia election workers who became targets of violent threats and smear campaigns after Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump falsely accused them of manipulating ballots in the 2020 election. Attorneys for Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss are urging the eight-member panel to award the women, are you ready to add all this up, $24 million apiece for Giuliani's def- uh, defamation against them, which they say ignited years of threats, professional and personal consequences, and devastation of their mental health. Moss and Freeman are also asking for an unspecified additional amount for emotional distress, as well as a punitive award to deter future misconduct. I believe that is important. Giuliani looked on from the courtroom defense table this morning as an attorney for Moss and Freeman, Michael Gottlieb, lit into the former New York City mayor for using his prominent platform and alliance with Trump to turn discredited allegations of election fraud against Moss and Freeman into a campaign aimed at overturning the 2020 election. Gottlieb saying he has no right to offer defenseless civil servants up to a virtual mob in order to overturn an election. The cost that has been imposed on Ms. Freeman and Ms. Moss on all those he has deceived and to the public confidence in our democracy are incalculable. More in the article, it's unclear whether Moss and Freeman will ever receive any of the award the jury determines Giuliani must pay. Their lawyers alluded to that prospect in closing arguments. The judge's rulings earlier in the case emphasized that Giuliani had shielded evidence of his net worth and reports in recent months have described Giuliani's dismal finances. He put his Manhattan condo on the market earlier this year and has at times turned to Trump's political action committee for assistance paying bills and raising funds for his legal defense. Maybe he can cut his coat up and sell it in pieces too. Have you heard of that? Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, Sibley, his attorney, told jurors that a judgment of the kind Moss and Freeman are seeking would be the, quote, civil equivalent of the death penalty. Obviously, it's not the death penalty, but if it were, his fate is in his own hands when just... Monday, he was saying... Everything I said about them is true. You regret what you did to... Of course I don't regret. I told the truth. Everything I said about them is... As Jay Bookman in the Georgia Recorder opined, Rudy Giuliani has no regrets. No regrets, he says, for falsely accusing two election workers of stealing a presidential election here in Georgia. No regrets for coming to the state capitol bearing, quote, proof that the two workers had been secretly passing voter-filled memory cards between them, as if they are vials of heroin or cocaine. In Rudy's mind, it's all good. No regrets for exposing Shea Moss and Ruby Freeman to death threats and racist attacks. No regrets for driving them out of their homes and employment, for focusing the considerable rage of Trump nation upon innocent people guilty of no more than doing their jobs. No regrets, Giuliani said this week, outside the D.C. courthouse, where Moss and Freeman are suing him for damages. No regrets because everything I said about them is true, he's quoted, except not really. They tell us truth is a stubborn thing, Jay Bookman writes, but lies and liars can be stubborn too. Lies beget lies, which beget more lies, and lies told often and with fervor, as Rudy tells his lies, can themselves become a form of truth, except not really. And the most beautiful lies, the most beguiling lies, are the intentional lies that you tell yourself 
to deceive yourself, lies that give you permission to do what you most want to do, what you know you should never do. Like plot to overthrow a legitimate election and thus end the republic. But hey, no regret. regrets, J. Bookman writes. He continues, we occupy a time when reality can be made to appear less than concrete, when various bits of misinformation can be collected and then reassembled like interchangeable pieces in a Lego set to create a reality that is more to your liking, but not really. In a world so fungible, why believe that Donald Trump lost the election when that belief is painful and costly to you? When truth tells us things that we'd rather not know, Why accept that truth when so many more attractive options are available? There's more to that piece. I'll share it in the show notes for you today so you can read it in its entirety at ronshowatl.com. All right, we're back in just a few minutes on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to the Ron Show Thursday, uh, I told you I'd tell you a little bit about uh, Donald Trump selling his suits because his fan base of rubes will buy just about anything. Listen to this from Seth Meyers. Former President Trump is selling pieces of the suit he wore during his mugshot, <laughs> or for 10 bucks, you can just go to a Joseph A. Bank and get the whole thing. <laughs> That's right, former President Trump is selling pieces of the suit he wore during his mugshot, you know, like billionaires do. Mm. You think Rupert Murdoch would sell you his suit? If he thought you wanted his suit, he would burn it in front of you. There you go, mate. Take all the ashes you want. Representative Jared Moskowitz on the Midas Touch had a field day with this, y'all. You talk about silly season, but this is this is some next level stuff. You, you and I both went to George Washington. We're familiar with Capitol Hill, but this is some next level weird stuff. You've got Donald Trump. If you buy, Congressman, 47 Trump NFTs. He cuts off a little piece of his suit and he will sell you the piece of his suit with a commemorative card. And he made a video about that. Donald Trump did that. He's selling this to the people like this. Like, could you imagine for a second if you or President Biden or anybody? This is just embarrassing stuff, huh? (laughs) Oh, listen, I expect him to start selling uh, Ivana Trump's tombstone. You'll be able to write, you know, a little signature on her tombstone for ten thousand dollars. You, too could have something on Ivana Trump's tombstone at my golf course. My beautiful golf course buried her on hole seven. She looks great. Oh, my God. Uh, this, is, this is literally what we're going to get ourselves back into if we elect him again. Okay? It, it, is, it is just it, – it, it, it's unexplainable uh, how, how, how people it, – it, it, people are just drawn to this guy. I mean, he's, he's a televangelist president. Yep. Right. I mean, he he's a he's the he's the best QVC blender salesman we've ever had. Okay, and, you know, look, would you like the lapel? We'll cut off the lapel part of the suit. Two grand. And you can have the lapel part. And someone right now is going, honey, get the Apple Pay. I'm going to get the lapel. The same person complaining about the economy is saying, hey, it's a tough economy. However, I'm going to spend the two thousand dollars to buy the lapel. (laughs) Right. Uh, funny, not funny, but we do have now, thanks to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and Freedom of Information requests, the apology letters from bail bondsman Scott Hall, attorneys Kenneth Chesborough and Sidney Powell. Those, of course, are three who struck plea deals in the election interference case involving 
the former president and others. Here, uh, here's Scott Halls. <clears throat> to the citizens of the state of Georgia, I owe you an apology. I wish I had some violin music. I wish I had never involved myself in the post-election activities that brought me before the court. I have never before been in trouble with the law, and I meant no harm to anyone. I did what I did on my own. I was not acting on behalf of any organization or any other person or persons. Y'all believe that? I'm really this. Mm. I became involved when I observed what I thought were some irregularities, which I reported to law enforcement authorities. I was concerned. I went to the State Farm Arena on election night to the subsequent recounts as an observer and was ultimately invited to Coffee County. Although I certainly did not mean to violate any laws, I now realize that I did and have accepted responsibility for my actions. I offer my sincere apology to the citizens of the state of Georgia. Sincerely, Scott Hall. Sidney Powell's is handwritten. This is it. This is the whole damn thing. I apologize for my actions in connection with the events in Coffee County. That's it? That's it? That's all she wrote? That's the whole letter? This is it. Y'all, you're not even going to And I'll include this in the show notes. You can see it for yourself. RonShowATL.com. This is on notebook paper. This is not typed out. She didn't even grab a, a, an old typewriter and type it out. Ta, 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 ta. No, this is on notebook paper. You know the ones with the lines and the two red lines that go down the left? That's what she wrote this ish on. Sydney Powell, October 19th, 2023. I could read it to you five times. No, I'm not going to do that. I apologize for my actions in connection with the events in Coffee County. Oh, here we go. More notebook paper. Kenneth Chesborough, October 20, 2023. It's almost as if somebody handed them this paper as their... In fact, I think in some cases, this was quickly, hastily, before court got into session. I, I don't have anything to write a letter on. Uh, you know what I got? My kids, my kids, uh, Trapper Keeper right here. Do y'all have a Trapper Keeper? I love Trapper Keepers. Do they still make them? Uh, I think I got my kids, uh, Trapper Keeper back here. Here you go. Kenneth Chairsborough, hastily, October 20. I apologize to the citizens of the state of Georgia and of Fulton County for my involvement in count 15 of the indictment. Signed, Kenneth J. Chesborough. That's it. That's all we get. That's all we get from them. That. That's all we get. From, and maybe I, 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 I can't sit here and be mad about this, perhaps, because. Maybe the less they say in the letters, the more they're going to say in testimony. Uh, the AJC writes, the trio, along with a fourth defendant, Jenna Ellis, were required to pen the letters as part of the terms of their plea agreements earlier this fall, but the letters have been stuck in limbo ever since. First sealed. Why? What is to be g- gleaned from these poorly written, quickly, hastily, shortly written letters? First sealed by Fulton Superior ju- Court Judge Scott McAfee. You got some explaining to do, Your Honor. And then stuck in a bottleneck with other court officials. Really, there's not enough paper on these letters. There's not enough ink on these letters for them to get stuck on the bottom of somebody's shoe. A spokesman for Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis declined to comment, which is only a few more words than either of those letters. Hall, a bail bondsman who was indicted for his role in the Coffee County election, data breach, according to the agency, wrote the longest letter of the bunch. He told Georgia citizens, quote, I wish I'd never involved myself with these jackass. 
No, I'm kidding. Uh, in the post-election activities that brought me before the court. Blah, 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 blah. I already read it to you once, and uh, I'm just literally just trying to finish up uh, uh, my eight-minute segment here. I started this at two and a half minutes, and I thought, is five and a half minutes enough time to read three letters of apology to the citizens of the state of Georgia, Fulton County, in the United States from these three of the four who took plea deals, admitting guilt, and five and a half minutes was more than enough time. I, I could have I could have read all three of them uh, ninety seconds maybe I, I still have thirty five seconds like ah okay fine this is where I pivot and tell you that next segment in fact second half of the show my guest will be frequent guest of the show executive director of the Georgia Win List and frequent pundit of Fox Five WAGA TV's The Georgia Gang. Melita Easters joins us. There's so much to talk about when it comes to women's reproductive rights, the insanity in Texas, Georgia State Supreme Court action on Georgia's six-week ban. The Supreme Court has the abortion pill in its hand. Not literally the pill, but debate about it. We'll discuss that and more when the Ron Show returns here on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, and wherever you podcast. Take the Ron Show wherever you go. Download the America One Radio app to your smartphone and listen on the go. Or in traffic wishing you were on the go. The Ron Show on America One Radio. Joining me because uh, abortion is front and center uh, again on many fronts uh, from the Georgia Windless, the executive director, Melita Easters, also frequent pundit on Fox 5 Atlanta TV's The Georgia Gang. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. It's always good to talk to you. Less than two weeks before uh, the presents get ripped open, are you done with your shopping? Have you started your shopping? What's uh, somewhere in the middle? I am somewhere in the middle. The fortunate thing for me is I... I mostly give people books, and that makes it easy, easy to wrap and shop. Absolutely. So let's talk. Uh, First things first, we we know that the abortion pill is in the hands of the U.S. Supreme Court, and I I don't even think it's just pro-choice advocates who are nervous about this, but but I get the sense even Republicans might be nervous as well. They seem to be in that dog-caught car scenario here of late. Wouldn't you agree? Well, th- that is very true, and it's it's not just the Republicans have caught a car. It's 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 the dog has caught a Marta bus, <laughs> and um, the the Supreme Court, at least somehow, a decision by them will eliminate many areas of confusion about whether contraception and this drug cocktail used for early stage abortions can be mailed. Because right now, the challenge is saying that it shouldn't be mailed even to states where abortion is legal. Mm -hmm. And then you have the drug companies who are very concerned about, this is a drug that's been used by millions of people for decades Mm -hmm. with no ill effects and no bad reports. Mm To think that this drug can be challenged by people on religious views all of a sudden means how many other drugs might be Mm. at risk for challenges by fringe groups. And make no mistake, the groups that are most vocal about this abortion medication protocol and the groups who are pushing for complete bans even not wanting clearly defined medical protocols for exceptions. Those are very, very fringe groups. 
And there are many Republicans who are uncomfortable with the corner they have been painted into by the extremes on this issue. With Mifepristone being at the heart of this, I think it's fair to remind folks that this isn't just a drug used for early-term abortion. Right. It's been used for many other conditions. And so you have, say, postmenopausal women mm. who are finding that pharmacies no longer wish to fill the prescription that they need to take for a drug that also might be used to treat lupus. Mm. You also, in some states, have pharmacies being willing to turn over prescription records to law enforcement. Oh, my gosh. And that's a, a privacy yeah, concern that is is a big one. I mean, who among us wants the local um, police to bust into your pharmacy, twirling batons, and asking for your prescription records? Mm. Yeah, uh, Cushing syndrome, uh, uterine leiomyomas. Uh, there's so many other uses for this drug other than just abortion. And when you start limiting the ability for it to be packaged and shipped across state lines this really complicates for a lot of folks who aren't even considering an abortion. Absolutely. On that front, uh, we're, we're starting to see evidence of this from the right. Again, dog catching car, or as you say, the Marta bus. Kellyanne Conway recently quoted, I saw in a political article, she's uh, in Capitol Hill this week delivering a message to Republicans to start, <laughs> this is wild stuff. This is totally Twilight Zone upside down world here. Promoting contraception or risk losing office in 2024. The GOP is being coached by the likes of Kellyanne Conway to embrace contraception and the ability to get it regardless of cost. Did you ever think you'd live to see the day? Well, no. And and actually, the Republican spending bills that are supposed to be coming up for a vote early next year would eliminate funding for Title X family planning program, would eliminate funding for teen pregnancy prevention programs, both of which provide contraception to millions of people who might not otherwise be able to afford it. Last summer, the Senate Republicans blocked the Right to Contraception Act, which would have enshrined the right to contraception into federal law. So basically what you have happening is Republicans are reading the polls. They are seeing that the vast majority of the population, as many as 75 to 80 percent of the people, are not opposed to contraception. Mm -hmm. And they're reading the polls and they're trying to paint themselves a path out of the corner that they've blocked themselves in. You know, you can't really rebrand when you have been so strident as certain segments of the Republican population have been on this issue. You have in some of the states which have had elections, what we would call off-year, 2023 mm -hmm. elections in an odd year rather than an even year. In some states, you see that the Democrats have performed far better because at the front of their campaign platforms have been restoration of and full access to reproductive health care. And, and make no mistake, it's not just abortion. I mean, in many ways, abortion is a key part of reproductive health care because of the kinds of cases you're seeing now, the Texas case being the most prominent among them, oh where a woman has complications in a pregnancy, needs abortion care, and the way the legislators have written the laws 
they can't receive it. Doctors are afraid to provide the care that their training tells them the patient needs. And I remember when Georgia's six-week abortion ban was being debated. Doctor after doctor, healthcare provider after healthcare provider told the members of the Senate and the House, the Republicans who were pushing for the legislation, this law will cause problems for us. If you insist on passing the law, please make the language easier to understand, make the language more inclusive of the kinds of complicated pregnancies we treat. They refused. Part of their refusal was they didn't want to mess with a law that they knew at the time in 2019 was in contradiction to Roe v. Wade, mm -hmm. which was then the full, almost five-decade precedent for law in the United States. So part of the problem with this is that legislators were hell-bent on passing laws they knew weren't to be to flawed yeah. in the language. Mm -hmm. And weren't going to withstand a judicial query uh, at the time. And to watch what, what played out in Texas, we saw this playing out in, in Ohio, I believe, where a teenager had to travel to another state, or was it another state yes. to Ohio? I mean, we've seen this e even in Texas where it's so draconian Whoever buys that woman a plane ticket to go to another state could be charged with, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a complicity yes. crime, right? Yes, absolutely. Like her husband, perhaps. <laughs> and so you, you really, um, a loving husband who wants to facilitate saving his wife and the mother of their children and preserving her future fertility mm -hmm. may very well, could very well, under existing Texas law, be charged with a crime. And I understand what Kellyanne Conway's trying to do here and threading the needle a little bit, but, but again, she's got to go to state's attorneys generals uh, like Ken Paxson's office and say, you, you jackass, you can't do that. And, and the state Supreme Court as well, who just enacted with, with blithe dismissal for literally the life of the mother. I mean, to be pro-life and well, to not care and, and about the, the life of the mother, it's just yes, galling. Yes, the Supreme Court of Texas outlined all of these talking points that the doctor failed to make in his appeal for the woman to, to be able to receive the medical care he believed she needed. And, and that's the whole point. There is not time in life or death decisions mm -hmm. for court opinions to make their way through the system. The attorneys for a hospital shouldn't have to be on speed dial from the OBGYN <laughs> um, suite of rooms. Oh Ken Paxton had the audacity to say that the lower court judge lacked the medical um, <laughs> experience to make the decision in the case. Well, I'd like to ask him what kind of medical experience all those legislators who passed the law to begin with have. Mm -hmm. There is no place in modern medicine for legislators to practice medicine without a license. Right. As we approach the 2024 calendar year and the, oh gosh, the home stretch of the 2024 general election cycle, 
there, there's evidence, a little bit of a chipping away here and there. The Israeli uh, Hamas stuff has folks on the far left, uh, those who, not even just the far left, but those who are empathetic to the cause of Gazan citizens and Palestinians across the country. You see a little bit of fracturing there. You see some fracturing within the African-American voter. Is there any chance that, uh, that this Kellyanne-Conway tactic might actually win some folks over if enough Republicans start showing support for contraception and uh, the ability to obtain it regardless of cost? I am not sure that the voters smart enough to remember the long record Mm. of the Republican Party on reproductive rights and freedoms will be gullible enough to be um, attracted by last-minute rebranding. Right, right. And I may be giving it more airtime than it actually needs. I just thought it was sort of an interesting pivot on her part. And some of the early evidence we're seeing that uh, conservatives have realized that this is a bed that they've made and they're not really comfortable in it and are looking to change the sheets. Um, Back here at home, we had a Georgia State Supreme Court ruling on Georgia's six-week ban. Can you explain what their action means for the ban as it stands now? Well, the ban is currently still enforced. This this is a six-week ban. Um, passed in 2019 with only one vote more than necessary in the state house. Mm. Since then, the state house um, composition has improved for Democrats by two or three votes, um, all of them by women um, who who won office mm. on a pro-choice platform. Mm. Um, you also have in Georgia the largest current freshman class of legislators in recent memory, for decades. So whether House Bill 481 would pass in the current General Assembly is certainly a matter for much discussion and speculation. So where we are with this law is that the Supreme Court ruled that the concept of void ab initio did not apply in this case, and it sent the law back to Judge Robert McBurney for decision-making on the other aspects of the case filed by abortion providers. Mm -hmm. Those aspects include whether House Bill 481 violates privacy provisions in Georgia law. Mm -hmm. Georgia's privacy provisions are among the strongest in the nation, and they arise from a case um, which had to do with a photograph being used by a commercial entity. Those privacy provisions in Georgia law have been quoted in hundreds of court cases nationwide, including several previous Supreme Court cases. And so Judge McBurney did not initially rule on those aspects of the challenge to Georgia's six-week abortion ban. And that is the part of his opinion that we await and then that the state Supreme Court would vote on. Now, what you have on the Georgia Supreme Court is a primarily male Supreme Court. And with the exception of one justice, all have been appointed by Republican governors. Mm. Judge John Ellington was first appointed to the Court of Appeals by um, Roy Barnes, a Democrat, the last sitting Democratic governor. Mm. And then he was elected outright to the state Supreme Court in 2018. 
So with the exception of him, all the current judges are appointed by Republican governors, including um, three women appointed to the court by current Governor Brian Kemp. Mm-hmm. And to backtrack a little bit, uh, void ab initio, for those who are wondering, it's a Latin term that means void from the beginning. And that was the, the, the premise of the argument from the start was that because the law was enacted at the state level during the Roe v. Wade tenure, that the law from the jump should have had uh, no validity and should be re- revoked, which right. is why I think you bring up the, the composition of the uh, General Assembly now. Well, and, and the General Assembly has changed in composition, but... Georgia remains one of the states where there is a Republican trifecta in power. So that means both houses of the General Assembly Mm -hmm. and the governor's office are all held by Republicans. That's a good pivot to uh, my next question to you. We're with Melita Easters, who is executive director of the Georgia Win List, frequent pundit on Fox 5 TV's The Georgia Gang here in Metro Atlanta. I want to ask you about new maps and uh, several women, women who are Georgia Win List endorsees, uh, past and present, seem to be targeted. We will get back with that discussion in just a minute on The Wrong Show, the American One Radio app, AmericanRadio.com, wherever you podcast. Welcome back. We're with Melita Easter's executive director, the Georgia Winless, frequent pundit on Fox 5 WAGA-TV's The Georgia Gang. New maps were drawn, and there's a lot of debate about whether or not these will wind up in front of a special master. I happen to think at least two of the three will, but we'll wait and see. In fact, we won't have to wait too long, it would seem. But uh, your, right. your, your thoughts on what appear to be, uh, namely Lucy McBath, but other Georgia Winless-endorsed candidates and current office holders who seem to be targeted by those new maps? Misogyny in map making is not new to the Georgia Republican Party. In 2012, we lost five very good women in the legislature based on um, gerrymandering. Mm. So we're, we're not a stranger to that. But it's very interesting in the way that the Republicans did these maps. For example, if you look at the seat currently held by Becky Evans in DeKalb County, Mm -hmm. and then the neighboring seat by Syra Draper, also down in DeKalb County. The two of them, Becky represents an area which currently is about 57 to 58% black, Mm -hmm. even though she is white. She defeated a black man some years ago by campaigning really hard and knocking a lot of doors. Mm -hmm. Syra Draper, who identifies as um, mixed race Mm -hmm. with um, a Spanish heritage and um, Pakistani heritage. Mm -hmm. Um, So she's a member of both the Latina and the AAPI caucuses. Mm -hmm. She represents the district once held by Stacey Abrams and later by B. Wynn, Mm -hmm. which is um, more than 71 or 2% Black. Mm -hmm. Now, the two of them were combined into a new district so one of them, they, they have to run against each other or one of them finds something else to do. The two of them are combined into a new district, which is only 51% black. So that was one really egregious way that they gerrymandered. Uh, another, th- obviously, the, the treatment of Lucy McBath. And now today with the um, announcement that Drew Ferguson, a Republican congressman, if you if he made a triangle, I suppose you would say, with Macon, Columbus, and Atlanta as its three points. That's the district we're talking about west of Metro Atlanta. All right. He has announced he's not running again. And so 
if indeed the judge overturns the congressional map and orders a new one drawn, then that district will not have an incumbent. And so that gives a little bit of freedom. The other thing that I've heard the judge could possibly do, that 516-page opinion he um, issued ordering the convening of a special session included a number of examples of maps which experts had submitted as part of court testimony. Mm -hmm. So there could be an order by the judge, rather than appointing a special master, he could say, use the map we reviewed at trial on page blankety blank of Mm -hmm. my order. Mm -hmm. And some people have, I believe, said that perhaps the legislature could draw the maps again, but I don't think that's the case. The Republicans rolled the dice Mm -hmm. by saying, we're not going to follow the judge's order. We're going to do what we want to do. And um, at least in the Senate and congressional mapping process, they absolutely ignored the order. (laughs) Yeah. Really, in some ways, this is not just about the maps. This is about the power of the federal judiciary. Mm -hmm. When a federal judge says, do this, and you don't do that, are there consequences? Does what a federal judge says these days even matter? That's what's at stake. It's so evocative of the civil rights era here in the South as well, where the, the local politicians wanted to thumb their nose at the federal government. And really, representation and equality were the issues at the core of those days, mm-hmm. and they remain so now. Which is why the Voting Rights Act still has teeth in states like Georgia and Louisiana and in Alabama and in Arkansas and in South Carolina. It's, we, we fail to learn from, I say we, those on uh, the conservative side of the spectrum fail to learn those lessons, it seems. Absolutely. We've got a, a couple of interesting weeks ahead of us as the judge decides on this and, and um, as the legislature convenes in January and um, we see what they'll be up to. I understand that the Georgia Winless is working alongside on a film project that you guys are going to be debuting in January. So uh, can we tease about that maybe a little bit and, uh, and maybe reconvene yes. early in the, the year to, to, to tease that? Yes, we'll be announcing that film project and the panel discussion. It's a short film produced and directed and um, with a young filmmaker here in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. It's a 17-minute dystopian setting, ironically in Texas, <laughs> um, where abortion is banned, the death penalty is imposed. Wow. There is a bounty of $75,000 when you report abort. And there is a required app that women of childbearing age must use to report their monthly cycles to the state. So this is all fictional, but some of it's not that fictional. I was going to say, we're not all that far from it, it doesn't sound like. (laughs) So this film will premiere at Theatrical Outfit on Sunday afternoon, January the 7th, just before the legislators travel over to the freight depot for the annual Wild Hog Supper the evening before the legislature convenes. And we'll have a panel moderated by state, former State Senator Jen Jordan, who was the Democratic candidate for Attorney General in Georgia last cycle. And she will be speaking with Jillian Rabin, the film producer, and four WinList-endorsed legislators, Senator Sonia Halpern and Representatives Darshan Kendrick, 
Shay Roberts and Dr. Michelle Al, and they'll talk about their reactions to the short film and the status of reproductive freedom in Georgia and the kinds of legislation they'll be on the lookout for from Republicans who continue to want to restrict reproductive care in Georgia. All right. I'm going to put that on my calendar. Once you guys have the event details up, you remind me to do that as well. Okay. Will do. All right. Melita Easter's with the Georgia win list. And we'll see, will we see you this Sunday on Fox 5's Georgia Gang? You will. I'll be on the Georgia Gang um, this week. Thank you for having me on. Have a little something sharp on your elbow, your left elbow there. So you need to nudge Phil from time to time just to keep him in line. We appreciate that, of course. I always wear my good luck charm earrings. Good job. Thank you so much for joining us on The Ron Show today. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, that'll do it for today's Ron Show. We'll have show notes and more at ronshowatl.com. I want to thank our guest, the Executive Director of the Georgia Winless, Melita Easters, for joining us today. Back tomorrow, same time, 5 to 6 p.m., first on the America One Radio app and at americaoneradio.com. You can download the app on the iTunes or Google Play Market if you wish, or listen via podcast when you subscribe to and like the Ron Show on your preferred podcast platform. We'll see you tomorrow.